hello, I'm Mernas Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Reset. Thank you so much for joining us for this LinkedIn Live today. Um, I'm really passionate about helping pharma field teams to feel confident about using technology to improve their engagement with healthcare professionals. Uh, I want them to feel really good about themselves and get amazing results. Uh, and it's the human element of digital transformation enabling people to use technology confidently to engage HCPs and deliver value is what I'm really curious about. And to explore this topic, I've been inviting inspiring pharma leaders to learn from them and give them a platform so they can share their perspective uh, with us. So I'm really delighted to welcome Patrick Mark, VP of Digital Excellence at DHC Sankyo in Europe. Hi, Patrick. How are you doing? I'm fine. Hi, Menas. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you here. I just thought it might be handy um, to introduce Patrick and give you an idea of how we two met. Um, Patrick is a strategic professional with a huge passion for customer experience, digital innovation, and agile transformation. Uh, Patrick is dedicated to driving seamless and convenient end-to-end -end customer experience for doctors and patients alike. And Throughout his career, Patrick has led various strategic initiatives to enhance customer engagement and improve business performance. His successfully established partnership and digital innovation hubs, fostering solution selling and advancing digital transformation within the organization. Um, he's a total expert when it comes to advanced analytics, uh, data governance and omnichannel marketing. And this has led him to drive customer segmentation, uh, optimizing uh, call plans, and also delivering bespoke on-demand content. I first met Patrick in um, Reuters event in Nice. He was talking on stage and I was really impressed by his expertise in this area. And then we bumped into each other in Dubrovnik at the next uh, Pharma Summit where I got to know more of him and his personality because we just hang around at the after party and the social event. And I really got to know Patrick more recently when we met in Barcelona because we happened to be sitting at the same round table and we did a couple of workshops. Um, what I find is the more I hang out around Patrick, the more I appreciate his brilliant mind, but also more importantly, his application of common sense when it comes to um, business and how he really values his people and he wants to empower them so together they achieve digital excellence. So um, Patrick, you know, it's so good to have you here. I think you're such a good egg. And I just want to remind uh, our listeners here that you are representing your own views. You're not representing your company. So let's kick off the questions by you sharing your story of how you got into pharma. I'm really curious to know. Yeah, thanks for asking. So actually I started, so I, I'm a natural scientist by background and I was mm -hmm. a consultant and worked a lot in the area of, you know, in licensing products, trying to understand what could be the value of a product. How can you actually go to market with the best strategy? And I read a job description from Celgene at this time where I thought this is exactly what I'm doing as a consultant, but one important difference. I would like to work with a company and see what is the impact of my actions. And this is what I was always missing as a consultant. Yeah, I, I know I'm not alone, but it was a little bit frustrating, you know, to 
help the train get going and then look at the backlights of the train when he's leaving the station. And this is how I basically got into pharma and started my career early on as a market researcher. That's brilliant. You know, I was actually having a discussion with Claudia um, because I wear another hat of volunteer for PM Society and our co-chair, the learning and development. And we were having a chat with Sophie Graham Goddard from uh, GSK and she had a brilliant idea. She said we need to attract more people from agencies and consultancy coming back to in-house because then there's a kind of a um, creates more opportunity for a developing best practice and kind of like learning from this different perspective. So it's really cool that you came from the agency. So how are you finding it? You're really enjoying it? Absolutely. It was the best decision to stay in pharma mm -hmm. because it's a place where you can have a real purpose, you know, to help patients. And this is just not, you know, some words, but I really do observe, including myself, that really this makes me wake up every morning and want to go to work. And this is what I really enjoy because we have so many opportunities, no matter in which country you work in the healthcare system, that I think um, there are still some jobs to be done. Oh, that's amazing. It's good that it's putting the fire in your belly and get you going every morning. That's what we're like. Yes. So tell me, in your role as a VP of Digital Excellence, what are the key things you do? I mean, what does your job involve? Because it sounds like a really like quite a posh title, but what does what does it mean and what do you drive really? Okay, so I can say in one sentence what I do and then also what my teams do. So what I actually do is um, someone asked me, I said, I'm the chief people supporter yeah? mm -hmm. because I honestly believe in digitization and there are very different understandings of what it means and what you can achieve with it. And having someone who acts like a gatekeeper, bringing the different views together and focusing on the easy things where you can make a difference really helps. And this is what motivates me. So this is what I basically do every day. Mm -hmm. And the three teams I have is an advanced analytics team. So these are specialists in using algorithms and data. And they try to support our colleagues by predicting what they could do next, basically. So how often to visit a customer, which content to use. Um, but it's all about customer understanding and collaboration with existing functions like business analyst, commercial excellence. So it starts with customer understanding, in this case, healthcare professional. The second team is customer engagement solutions. And this team covers the technical perspective. So end-to-end -to -end tools you need for engagement. So it starts with customer relationship management, digital asset management, so where you store basically the content you want to bring to the customer, the relevant content, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, collecting customer feedback, so what is the impact, but also creating content, yeah. But very important, it's the whole process. It's not just one tool, it's really making sure we have an understanding, how can we make it as easy as possible. And the last team is called DSpace for digital space. And this team works through partnerships um, and wants to help our global colleagues to establish the vision that we become a healthcare company and deliver healthcare as a service. Mm -hmm. So what I mean with this, we really want to move away from selling drugs to holistically provide support to those who are in need. And this could be doctors, nurses, patients, yeah? and it could mean pills, monitoring, diagnosing, you know, um, all these type of things, but this is basically giving what patients need in one place and not 
in many places. So this is what we do at Daichi Thank You. That's so cool. So you're really actively looking to add value beyond medicine in that team. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And all, do all these three teams sit together? How do they communicate with each other? Or are they like in different sectors of the building and, you know, work on their own silo? No, no. So we do talk. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they uh, have, let's say, distinct areas where they are active. So the mm -hmm. collaboration between for advanced analytics at the commercial and medical team is bigger than, is, for example, the DSpace team with digital solutions. But what I see after two years is that the overlap becomes bigger. And let me give an example. Yeah, we mm -hmm. are working on um, a project where we created um, an avatar who uses generative AI to provide patients with answers regarding one of our products. Mm -hmm. And we have an analytics team who, uh, who are really experts with generative AI. And we have the digital team, DSpace, who's really an expert to develop digital solutions, yeah, from nailing down the idea to creating uh, prototypes and uh, MVCs and proof of concepts. And this is where you start to see now more and more connections. So the value of this team is really their distinct expertise. But when you reach a certain level of maturity, also the combination of the expertise, because together they can even achieve more with the, let's say, established functions uh, like medical, commercial, um, or even market access. That's brilliant. I think you've got an um, endorsement of what you're doing here in the chat is Eduardo, I don't know whether you know Eduardo or not, but it says very much like the three teams to add value to patients and other stakeholders. Exactly. Um, and I think one thing I picked up when, I, when we were talking with, with each other in Barcelona, I actually felt like what you're doing is quite technical, you know, data analytics um, or insights, but mm -hmm. You really care about the people, and I, yes. I, I find that so refreshingly positive, because you see yourself as somebody who creates an environment so your team can do the magic. You don't kind of like feel I'm the chief. I've yes. got to tell you what to do. Um, tell me a little bit more about that, because I think that is such a positive culture yeah. to have at work. Yeah, thank you. So, okay, so some examples. So my teams come up with their own OKRs. So, you know, I don't tell them what to do because they know best. So first they define their targets. Mm -hmm. Then we talk about it. And my job is then to make sure that the targets between the different teams are aligned, but also with the rest of the organization. Yeah? So mm -hmm. this is where they have a lot of responsibility, accountability, and this is what they like. Yeah, Because again, don't hire smart people and tell them what to do. I cannot be in all the details and these guys are incredibly smart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what I also do is when the teams need support, they come to me. So we have one-to-ones, we have a weekly, you know, um, where all my directs and myself speak. But when they feel they hit the wall, they approach me. But we have, we try to have a very different conversation. And let me explain what it means. This means if they face a challenge with an employee or with a project, I ask them, okay, how can I help you? Should I share experience? Do you need advice? Are you lacking information? Do I need to make an intro to a different leader? Can you tell me what would help you to grow and proceed? You know, again, I'm not trying to give them solutions. You know, I'm not perfect, but this is really what we try to do. We are very open and very honest, and I try to provide what they believe is required. And this is the perspective I really try to take 
So the human-centered approach you are talking about, because yeah. I believe you should know best what you need in order to proceed. It's not me to judge or to decide what you should do to, to proceed in the best way. You're very smart because you coach them to come up with the solutions themselves. Just wondered, yes. you mentioned the concept of OKR. I love OKR. Yeah. And I think if you look at all the successful companies in the digital space, you know, you know, YouTube, um, Intel, Google, they all use it. Just for the benefit of our listeners, do you want to briefly explain what OKR is and how you yeah. use it so we can all be on the same page? Yeah. So it's objective and key results. And um, the way how we, so there are a few things which are specific to it. So first, you usually use them for 90 days. Yeah, so it's not like a full year, but you try to break it down into smaller chunks. Yeah, and you should be very precise. What is the objective you want to meet? Yeah, it needs to be very measurable in terms of key results. It's not fluffy. Yeah, it's really like, we do two omnichannel campaigns using at least three different channels using our personas um, within the next 12 weeks. Yeah, This is basically how you would define it so that you can say, yes, I did, or no, I didn't. It's, you know, you need to say yes or no. Um, and what it also helps us to do is to bridge basically the targets we have, because a lot of companies have annual targets for different reasons. Yeah, we have shareholders and, you know, um, also you have uh, financial reasons why there's a one year goal. Um, but the question for people is then how do I translate this into my daily work? Because you have like a target achieve revenue X, but what does it mean for you? You know, it's very difficult to then basically translate it. But if you then have an objective and say, in order to achieve the revenue, and I'm working in digital, you know, how can digital solutions help to reach more doctors, create a better relationship? Because a better relationship means more engagement, more engagement might mean that more benefits arise because they prescribe products. And this is how you can actually break it down. And this is what took us quite some time to understand how can we as leaders support our employees to come from annual targets to smaller chunks, which can be translated into daily work. Mm -hmm. So we still have different maturity levels, but we really start to see the benefits because OKRs also mean you can have an objective with different key results for different teams, but it's the same objective. So it also fosters the exchange and creates clarity on where can I win myself? So not me as a person, but for example, my analytics team, or where can we win only together with medical or marketing or market access or the patient advocacy group, you name it. Yeah? And this is why I also love OKRs. Brilliant. I love it. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> it creates a lot more alignment between different silos in the organization. So everybody is like unites behind one cause, yes. but everybody does different things towards achieving that. Um, and I'm so... Um, you know, inspired to know that you're using that across the whole organization. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's Patrick the first year. We will be very transparent. We tried it before. Yeah. And it took one year, the organization, to get to a point where now the absolute majority is really able to translate it, you know, because I think it's also very important manners to be transparent. Mm -hmm. And if I may, just give me 30 seconds. Yeah, I think Go one thing it. where we need to be cautious as companies or leaders, independent of level is, to not put too much pressure and too strict timelines on people. 
because it's okay to say everybody does an OKR training and we use OKRs, but it's not as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And this is why I believe it makes more sense to say our ambition is to leverage OKRs to increase the benefit for patients and doctors and also our own performance. And we try to get there as fast as possible. And these are the things we do. But whether it takes six or eight months in the end, it doesn't matter. But let's make sure we reach that goal and don't yeah. you know, frustrate people because after four weeks, they say OKRs are not for us, you know. It's nice that we had a training, but it simply doesn't work. Yeah, I've been using OKR and Chemia for the last five years. And I think one thing I find is you encourage the team to go for a really ambitious objective. But if people don't achieve it at the end of the year, you don't hang them and say, oh, you didn't achieve that. The whole point is saying, let's do a realistic evaluation of how far in that journey we went and celebrate the journey rather than pinpointing people. So sometimes... We might not reach the objective we set, but people are marked as achieved or overachieved because they have pushed the needle in that area. So I think in large organizations, you've got to be careful that OKR doesn't bite people's asses. It just encourages them to have freedom to think creatively. I think it's easier to do it in a smaller company than the big yes. companies, but doesn't mean that you should not do it because look at the success they've had. And, you know, all the companies who applied it. And if anybody's interested, there's a great book by John Doerr. You can go and check it out. It really ex- explains the concept with lots of really good examples. So um, in your team, Patrick, uh, you really focus on um, kind of um, data. And I, I'm just mm-hmm. curious to know, what do you think makes forward planning crucial in advancing a digital omnichannel strategy? Mm. So... One, keeping things simple. And I will give you an example in a second. Two is um, setting it uh, an ambitious midterm goal. So we want to use omnichannel campaigns using a modular content and personas as our standard way of working in two years of time in all the affiliates, for example. And... um, changing the organization by letting people get experience and also don't be afraid to change the organization by hiring new people fresh brains from outside because you will discover gaps but one after the other to make it very practical yeah when you use data you will come to the lovely topic of data governance yeah Mm -hmm. and most people love it yeah like i do um but my head of advanced analytics did a fantastic training and she said you know data governments is like a pizza first you need to decide you want to bake the pizza yourself or you go to a restaurant so who's in charge of data governance then the next step is basically the recipe of the pizza so this is the different data domains where do you want to become active you know is it commercial data is it medical data you need to start somewhere you cannot do everything so let's say okay we do a pizza margarita and put salami on top. Then the question is, okay, if you go to a data domain commercial, what exactly are we interested in? So which type of salami do we put on the pizza? Because they're also different salamis. And data governance also means we need high quality data. So who checks that there's no rotten salami on the pizza? Because (laughs) we want a good pizza, you know? 
And this is uh, something where you can basically, you know, try to think out of the box because this person also had healthcare experience, but she was also an entrepreneur. She worked in different industries, you know, and I really enjoyed this because it shows how much simplicity can achieve. And I can tell you, this was one of the most enjoyable hours I had in training in my life. Yeah. Just joining this. So simplicity is one. And I will shortly pause because I see you want to say something. I love it. I just love your pizza analogy. I never thought data analytics could be so fun. So that is a brilliant example. And I guess um, just continue. I just wanted to say it's fantastic using pizza analogy. Let's go to the lady in my team because she came up with the example. I just uh, stole it with pride. Yeah, because I believe Mm. it's fantastic. Then the second step, the the midterm planning. So what we also do is, together with the other teams, um, commercial, medical, and market access, we set a two-year roadmap where we said, by quarter, what is it that we would like to achieve? And it was very important for us, um, also in terms of data usage and using analytics to produce recommendations with a sales uplift, because we could tell the organization, A, this is here to stay. B, it will not be available tomorrow everywhere. We do need some time and need to put some effort into it. But we as senior leaders are committed not to stop this. You know, we will find a way to make it happen. Yeah, And it might be a bumpy road, but this is the only way how we can be successful in the future. And, and this also helped us then when we encounter challenges, like we say, people usually don't think about who's the owner of a data source or who should be responsible for the quality, or you need people who really deal then with data breaches. So usually you don't have sufficient data, uh, you know, protection officers and things like this to slowly shape the organization and adapt it to the needs. So what I'm trying to say is A, don't forget the human side, So it can be fun to talk even about data governance. Don't put too much pressure on the organization because we have really observed it's not helping. In the end, it's important that you continue to reach or come closer to your goal instead of, you know, breaking the organization or people. And three, then you can one after the other start to work in the different areas, hiring new people, refining roles, creating new roles. Yeah. But don't give up. It is a bumpy road. It will take time, but it is not a digital transformation. This is a human transformation where data plays an important role. I love your explanation. By the way, um, Venetia just made a comment here saying that she would vote, her and I would vote for the Barata pizza. And it's so funny, Venetia, as Patrick was talking about the pizza analogy, I was just thinking about you and the burrata pizza we had in uh, Dubrovnik. So, you know, one of the things going back um, on what you said, Patrick, what I really love is I think companies constantly asking for data from the field team. And often it feels like it's like um, the data gets, you know, fed up or pushed down the, like it's like a sausage Mm -hmm. machine, right? And It sometimes feels as if the sausage machine at the end of it, it just like falls on the ground and nobody does anything with it. What I really love about your team and what you're doing is you're actually keeping it really simple. You're predetermining what type of sausage you want to have or a pizza, but you're actually doing something with it, which brings me back to my next question is about content creation, because mm-hmm. what's the point of collecting all this insights and data from customers and doing nothing about it? 
How do you translate that and bring it back into um, omnichannel content creation? Yeah. So I think there are different elements to it. And I would ask you to interrupt me at a certain point because otherwise I might need three or four minutes. Yeah. So okay. it, I, it's okay to interrupt me. So one, I would say is first important to really define what you would like to achieve. Yeah, uh, because omnichannel is a way to engage with customers, but it does not tell actually what you're trying to achieve. Okay, so this is where I would start. It's about the relevance yeah, of the information and do you actually know what your customers want? This is the first step which where analytics can help because it can tell you how often you should engage, what is the preferred channel, and you might even have data what is the preferred type of content or what are specific information um, which would help the doctors. Mm -hmm. I think too, what is really important is it's about the quality, not the quantity. Because I would say at least some people tend to say fantastic, you know, now um, we have different technological possibilities to accelerate content creation. Um, but A, it doesn't mean the content is better. And B, if you are not relevant, there's a high risk that you start to bore your customers to death and you actually create the opposite effect. And pardon my language, I just call it uh, faster to bullshit. So you need to be really careful <laughs> what you do. Yeah, uh, because it's not about the, the quantity. And one way to do this is actually to clearly define interaction points between the back office and the customer facing roles. And I would like to use one example. Mm -hmm. When we started at the beginning with analytics and said the first step is to say, do we actually know what customers want and how often and which channel? We created three possibilities to interact with the Salesforce. We said, one, help us to get your knowledge into the model. This is the question you asked, Mernas, yeah, where we said, the model can recommend a lot of things, but it's not perfect. So, and you get feedback like, I cannot visit a key opinion leader more than three times a quarter. Yeah, And a key opinion leader doesn't prescribe, but still he or she is important. So what you do is you do model limitations to make sure that whatever the model recommends remains feasible for the customer facing roles and two, they trust the model output because their knowledge is also put into the model. It's wired into the model. That's very important. Two, when they get the recommendations, they have the opportunity to take a look because in the end, it's just a number. Dr. Campbell, three face-to-face -face visits in this quarter. Yeah? But maybe the person who would like to talk to you knows that. Ah, for Myrna's, the better number is two. Yes, she has more potential, but she told me several times Two is enough, yeah? Mm -hmm. So this is why they can correct some of the recommendations. And this is usually between 10 to 15%, yeah? Um, but it also builds trust because it's not simply execution told by a machine. It's again an interaction, a combination of human and artificial intelligence. And the last step is after execution, so three to six months after they have received the recommendations and um, adapted it, to feedback into the CRM, basically, what were the reasons why you adhered or did not adhere to the so to the number of engagements per channel? Because there could be good reasons to adhere or not adhere. You know, 
there was COVID, there was uh, flooding in Germany, the doctor retires, you name it. And the model just needs to know when a recommendation is not met, why? Because maybe the easiest thing the model can recommend is just continue for another three months because I cannot tell you whether this recommendation was the right one or not. And the same is true for content. I think it's always about finding the intersections where human and artificial intelligence can be blended to build the trust and try to get the best of both worlds so that you can grow as a team. I know it sounds a little bit strange to grow like with an AI as a team, but this is basically what it is so that you can proceed and people actually start to do it and continue to do it. That is great because you're actually valuing the human input yes. to determine the optimal decision. And, you know, in real life, things happen. You know, like today mm -hmm. I was contacting a healthcare professional who was really keen to speak to me. But when I sent an email to her, I found that she's off sick. If she's off sick, you can't have an interaction. And I'm really concerned, mm -hmm. you know, about her. But I think with the increased workload for people, particularly in NHS, is that workload is going to you know, have an impact on, on the healthcare professionals and we need to be understanding. But I think I really like the way that you value people and I hope your field team feel that, um, that they are empowered. Tell me, when it comes to creating um, digital content, what are the common mistakes do you think pharma companies are making? <clears throat> So like I said before, focus on speed. I think this is really what it should not be. Focus on details. For example, we have 78 characteristics per HCP. So <laughs> is really every characteristic important or can we keep it uh, simple again? Mm -hmm. um, and I would say um, focus on technology. So maybe I'm allowed to also share one example. When we started with um, personalizing content um, one and a half years ago, uh, we didn't have any tool in place. Mm -hmm. So what the commercial team did at this time, yeah, uh, together with the medical team is they used Excel, yeah, mm -hmm. listed all the different claims, all the different sources, um, it went through the MLR process, so medical legal regulatory review. Yeah, um, And in the end, they had a clickable version, HTML5 based, uh, which they presented at a Congress. And it worked and it worked pretty well. We had, you know, an NPS of 92 or something at the end. The average conversation with customer facing roles was seven minutes. And I think 60%, if I'm not mistaken, at the end said, I give consent because I would definitely like to receive more information from you. And um, this is why I would like to encourage people, don't focus on technology. Really think about what you would like to achieve. And even with a simple tool as Excel, yeah, it's a hell workload, okay, so we will mm -hmm. not do it again, but you can do it. Don't wait for tools to be in place or don't let tools or lack of processes be your excuses to not proceed. Because I think you can learn a lot by just doing it. And this is also what agile working and the right mindset and focus on the customer is all about because they don't wait for us until we are ready. So I think we really need to find a way and be very practical hands-on in order to start. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. If you heard me say it once, you've heard I said many times, I recommend people take massive imperfect action because you learn through experimentation. And I think exactly. often, you know, we get 
um, tangled up by you know shiny stuff but to communicate with somebody you might not need to use all the channels you just need to keep yes. it simple based on what is it that you're trying to do and use a big dose of common sense rather than yeah. you know exactly. just kidding yeah cool I really like that so Patrick you are a kind of like man working in the tech space so mm -hmm. there's a lot of hype about AI how do we mm -hmm. harness it to kind of like excel in our omnichannel communications with HCPs? Uh, yeah. So the where my head of advanced analytics was very keen on, and this is what I would like to share, is the first thing maybe you would like to consider is to think about what are the possible approaches or technologies we can use. Mm -hmm. Because 80 to 90% of the things you want to do, you don't need AI. So I think it's very important to find the right way to do things. It could be a classical commercial excellence analysis, you know, it doesn't need to be super fancy because when you focus only on the 10 or 20 things which make a difference, you have the right use cases. That's very important. Then uh, two, don't aim for the stars. And let me again give an example. Mm -hmm. So what we do internally is a Gen AI pilot where we would like to have like an interface, like a chatbot to um, retrieve information from the documents we have. Yeah, you know, there are primary and secondary data sources like market share, IQVR reports, you name it, yeah? But no one has time to read it all. But can, if you could interact in a different way, like with ChatGPT, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, then it's much easier to retrieve information by saying, what is the market share in the South of Germany? What are the specialties? You know, we prescribe drug X. Uh, where do we have the biggest patient potential? And so on and so forth. And um, this is a rather easy use case to do. I'm not saying it's easy, but easier than others. But it allows us to learn how to technically do it. It allows users to get hands-on experience how Gen AI could work. And very important, it empowers them to make better decisions. Because if you are a customer-facing role and you have access to this, you can basically search yourself what you believe is important. Yeah? So it's an empowering tool. Mm -hmm. And as a next step, you can then think about um, more complicated scenarios like resource allocations. So can we actually, and when I say resource allocations, maybe you have, could do 20% more calls. So would it make sense that maybe a sales rep from one territory supports in another territory or, um, uh, sales rep also use it to plan their uh, calls and to mm -hmm. engage. You know, there are different scenarios, but they are more complex. And you also need to take legal and GDPR um, and compliance um, into account. And when you don't have an SOP in your company how to use it, this might be your showstopper. You might have the best use case ever. But when it gets too complex, people get frustrated, not because of the use case, but because of all the other things which are associated with it. Mm -hmm. And this is why if I only may give you two advices or share experiences, one, spend quite some time on thinking about where AI is needed, because it's not needed everywhere. And it's even more true for Gen AI. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is, think about, again, small steps. What can you do as a first step to demonstrate it works before you get into more complex topics? And it also gives you time to work on the white spots you have so that then once you're ready with your first proof of concept, you can move on and people 
have less of frustration and actually embrace the new technology and, and welcome the possibility to make more informed decisions. Sound advice from a man who knows his digital stuff. What I really like about your approach to technology AI is a huge dose of common sense. So be clear about what, what you need and also think about, you know, the small steps rather than just leaping forward. We've got yes. a comment here from uh, Eduardo. Um, he says, always put strategy first. There's so much technology out there. This ensures you will implement the right tool. And I think the danger is, um, and thank you for your contribution, Eduardo. I think a lot of people are just getting too busy doing stuff uh, yeah. that they forget about why are we doing it in the first place. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I must admit, I find a lot of the marketeers are always busy, busy doing. And um, more recently, I've just received a couple of emails from people asking for something. And I'm just saying, like, why do you need it? Because how is it going to help us achieve what we're trying to do? And I think when you get busy, you forget about the strategy. What's your thoughts mm -hmm. on that, uh, Patrick? Absolutely. So I, I couldn't agree more. And when I say, for me, strategy has a few aspects. So one is, what do customers want? Yeah, because I think that's very important. And what do we want as a company? And where can we create this win-win situation? Because I think it's important that everybody wins and we, we can create a strategy where everybody wins. Um, even with Gen AI, for example, uh, providing uh, answers to questions on patients uh, or products, like I mentioned before. Yeah. The second thing is then, um, you know, making sure that strategy can be executed because in strategy, um, there's a high risk that it's so fluffy yeah, in the way how it's articulated that people don't understand it. So it's too high level. So I think if we talk about strategy, it doesn't end with a nice PowerPoint presentation, but we also need to follow up and say, what does it mean? at which level and how do we translate it into different functions, different levels, different responsibilities. So mm. nothing more than OKRs in the end, you know, that people can understand what they do. And this is, I think, where people should really invest some time. So Eduardo, spot on. A strategy is important, but also think about what about the strategy is important, because even if you have one, it's not a, a guarantee to, success, to be successful. Perfect. Um, you touched on OKR, and I just want to bring uh, Nitin comment into the conversation so it's not lost. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Nitin says, um, you know, when we're talking about OKR, we have to be mindful that we're not penalizing pe people for being ambitious. Uh, and, um, you know, this is just to create an environment for creativity and thinking outside the box and shooting for the moons, not for, um, you know, kicking our team to feel bad about not achieving <laughs> the aspirational goal. Um, going back to um, pharma industry, uh, if you were, if you could make a lasting impact on pharma industry, mm -hmm. what do you think that would be? So two things. Um, one, I would be happy if people who work in pharma and stand at crossroads enjoy making decisions. Yeah? So not turning around, start screaming and run back. Yeah? This is what <laughs> I sometimes see. And I'm not judging these people. There are many good reasons why sometimes you should turn around, scream and run. But um, I think this is where we should start. So this is in general, I think we need more courage in pharma. Mm -hmm. And the lasting impact could be is that we finally start to do things which are really different. Because I think we do 
always the same things and tweak it a little bit. So we do things differently, but we don't do different things or not in majority. We do have some courageous people and teams, you know, and individuals who, who start to do it. But if I could make a lasting impact is first encouraging people to really enjoy decision-making and two, this is the basis for being courageous and really doing something people have not dared to do so far. Because I think this is really what we believe. Healthcare is at a point where small increments will not do the job anymore. I think you make a really valid point. Uh, courage seems to be not as readily available in our industry. Our industry is quite uh, conservative, slow moving, and the competitive nature means everybody's waits to see someone else making a move and if they don't fall then they follow it but why do you think that is why is the culture so um kind of slow in terms of allowing curiosity and creativity and taking risk okay this is my personal view yeah but yeah. i think one thing has to do with the time frame we operate in because if we talk about drug development and marketing the drug this is like a 20-year time frame Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is very long. Yeah. So um, I think that's one reason. Two is the scientific excellence, which is very important for most of the pharmaceutical companies. So it's about the last detail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to be more agile or do things different, it's exactly the opposite. It's not about the last detail, but 80% is good enough and you start going. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not about one being right or wrong. I'm just highlighting that two viewpoints are exactly opposite yeah and this is why i think we need to help people to overcome this and also even if you are in medical you know there are fantastic people in medical who can be agile and you know and do things differently but this is um, a second reason and the third reason is sometimes i believe that the job in our industry is to sell drugs and this is it mm -hmm. and amazon google apple and others are responsible for the digitization which I don't believe, you know, it's really um, the people who work in the healthcare industry, including pharma, who are responsible to also drive this. These are like the three main reasons I observe. I love it the way every time I ask you a question, you give me three point answers. That's so yeah. smart. I love it. We've got a couple of comments here. I've got a comment from uh, Nitin and a um, question from uh, Vanita. So the first one, Nitin says strategy can be translated to where to play, how to win, uh, brings a lot of clarity for the team. Yeah. AI use cases then should be linked to the how to win. Thank you so much for that. Um, Patrick, do you want to add any more comments to Nitin's contribution to this chat? I think you're very right, Nitin, because AI is one tool how to get to a point. So you really nailed it down by saying I, AI could be a way how to win. But again, think about is this the way or the only way how you can win? Mm -hmm. So we've got a question from Venita. Venita says, OKR is a great way to move the needle towards true north. How do you navigate the functional silos? Are these OKRs for cross-functional teams or are they mainly for commercial? So when we started one year ago, we did OKRs for every department. So medical, market access, commercial, digital. And we shared it in a big town hall where every department basically presented the OKRs. Um, this helped a little bit to understand, but not really to fully have cross-functional 
um, OKRs. So what we learned throughout the year and what we do differently this year is every team within a department has prepared it, the OKRs and the roadmap of the key projects. Within a team, we take a look where are overlaps, where do we maybe need to change not only OKRs, but also timelines, because it would be too much for an affiliate, because everybody's coming at the same time. And uh, mid of March, we will do the same exercise with the four departments. So what we basically do is a little bit like a bottom-up exercise, mm -hmm. where we first say, what do the team things we need to win? Then make sure it makes sense at a department level, and then makes sense at a business unit level within Europe. Because like you said, Vanita, you can have an objective to run omnichannel campaigns, but the key result is a different one. Marketing defines, for example, what is an omnichannel campaign? Yeah, like I said, three channels, persona-based, for example, it could be as simple as that. Yeah? Um, marketing maybe needs to define the job descriptions for the marketeers who are the content producers or the librarians. Yeah? Whereas a different team maybe is responsible to translate the job responsibility into functional requirements. And this is basically how you then have one common objective, but with different key results where you need to work together in order to make it happen. But the difference is you start to work with an understanding what everybody needs to do and don't discover it on the way and think about why are all the others not smart enough to know what to do? It's so clear, you know? And I think this is really what you can do. Regular exchange, be patient. It will take some time, but you will find your way how to proceed and have this cross-functional exchange. That's cool. So how often do you share OKR progress with each other between different departments? Um, so we will do it this year every quarter. So what we did okay. is we also changed the meeting structure so that we have the financial meetings together with the leadership meetings to discuss on a high level where we are. Um, and at the end of every quarter, we also match it versus the OKRs so that then the operational teams the next month can use the input to proceed. Yeah, so now we really synced all the different levels and meetings, but again, it was a long process and we hope it will be the next step, but this is what we do now. Is it helping to get rid of the silos? Uh, partially, yes, because um, when people know that every quarter once we need to basically show who followed up on what, um, it helps to make sure that we progress, not because people are afraid, but because we know we can only achieve it if we work as one team, so independent of functions. Perfect. Uh, we've got a question uh, from Susanna. I'm just going to put it up there so you can see yeah. it. Um, Susanna says, uh, what do you think is still the biggest barrier in the healthcare industry to successfully scale digital solutions? Do you believe that more industry-wide collaborations, uh, e.g. in uh, consortia, could be beneficial rather than individual company internal efforts? Okay. So thanks, Sue. I'm <laughs> happy to have you. Yeah. Um, so it depends what scaling means. Yeah? If it means scaling at your own level, I think um, it's important to give um, teams the time to see that um, ecosystem solutions or where different stakeholders are involved are more likely to be accepted and add value for different stakeholders. So it's not just one digital companion who monitors quality of life, 
but it's a company who monitors your health, one company who uses an algorithm to analyze it, send the data to the hospital information system where a doctor can use it, for example. Yeah? This is like a small platform from diagnosis to treatment. Yeah? This takes time because teams need to understand how do I develop a digital solutions, how do I prototype, um, how do I move on and how do I negotiate with these new partners? Yeah, because then again, legal has never done it before or needs more experience and so on. So that's one. Um, give people time, let them experience and be very clear on what you would like to achieve. If you talk about industry-wide solutions, Sue, I honestly believe, um, yes, we should be more courageous to partner with other companies. And I would also like to give an example we as a company are active in the area also uh, because you have these ABCD, ABCD diseases, yeah? And you have atrial fibrillation, um, you have uh, blood sugar, you have cholesterol levels and diabetes, yeah? We are active in atrial fibrillation and um, cholesterol lowering, yeah? But other companies are active in diabetes. So why not thinking about a collaboration where two companies work on different diseases, but we know it's not really advantageous if you have more than one of the four. Um, and you would not even be real competitors, but what you would do is you would basically use the same infrastructure, the same processes, the same partners, the, you know, the same company to develop algorithms. And at the end, maybe one app, which helps four times or 10 times more patients than alone. And this is where I fully agree with you. And this is also what I meant with if there's one thing I can do um, to create a lasting impression is finding people or helping to develop people to make these type of decisions. That's absolutely what it's all about. I really love the fact that as a leader, you put the emphasis on creating an environment to allow your people to flourish and come up with the solutions. And, you know, that's so close to my heart, you know, Patrick, you know, I think um, that's, one of the things I find really smart about you, um, as a leader, you don't see yourself as having all the answers and being the cleverest person in the room. You see your role as a leader to create an environment so people in your team can really come up with clever ideas and solve those solutions. And I really like your strategic approach of thinking about the patients, thinking about the end users. That is not just about doing what's right for Diatra Sankyo is like collaborating with others to do what's right for the patients. Because as an end users, if you've got comorbidities, you don't want to use four different apps. You probably want to have one app to track, you know, different aspects of your different conditions affecting your heart and your, you know, diabetes and everything else. So yeah, if you care about the people, if you empower the people you and you have that uh, brave mindset, that's when you can create magic with digital transformation Absolutely. combination of that with people it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here i just want to ask you um to do kind of like one more thing because you know i really care about people element when it comes to digital transformation um i launched my first book the omni advantage which is all about harnessing the power of the field team and creating an environment so they can do their magic I know you've had a chance to read it. I'm really curious to know how you find it, share your thoughts and you know whether you'll be able to use it. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, so when I read it, the first thing which came into my mind is like a Swiss pocket knife. <laughs> Let me explain why. 
because uh, depending on what you need, you will have different benefits. If you are not aware what is the end-to-end -end process maybe of from an idea to strategy to execute and get acceptance in the field, this book gets a good overview of the different stages. If you got stuck somewhere at a different stage, you know, and don't know how to include, for example, the field teams in creating a solution together, there's a lot of practical advice in the book, yeah? step by step, very practical, human centered and with the view of the field teams. And it could also provide you a common ground because it's neutral. And when a key account manager has a view and maybe a marketeer and a digital person, it's not about who is right or wrong, but what can we learn from this example and who of us needs to change what in order to proceed. So this is why I could highly, I can highly recommend um, to really read the book. So um, I'm pretty sure you will have the opportunity to grab one later. So um, I would go for this read if I would be you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, Patrick, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, thank you for your kind of candid, but also pragmatic approach to digital uh, excellence. And uh, thank you for reminding you about, about the importance of people. And thank you for reminding us to keep it simple, be really clear about what we want and maybe move slower, but take people with us. Um, and thank you for all the um, people who joined us in the chat, shared your comments, shared your questions. Thank you, Nitin, Suzanne, Venita, and Eduardo for you know contributing to the chat. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you all here. Um, I just feel digital transformation is an enabler, it's not the end goal. It's only when we empower people to use it, we can really harness that competitive advantage that could give us to be able to really deliver value to the patients and to the HCPs. Um, so Patrick, do you have any lasting comments or words you wanna share with our audience? Maybe just one thing if I may, because this is very close to my heart and I know some other senior leaders will not won't like to hear it, but if you face in your company a situation where you would like to talk to someone because from a project perspective, it makes sense because you have an expert who needs to talk to a leader that there's a roadblock and the answer is you need to sort it out at your level or I want to talk to your VP, then something is going wrong. I think the people who can make a difference should talk to each other. And sometimes this could be a manager and a VP. So let's not think about hierarchy. Let's not think about who are your peers, but think about what is it that we want to achieve? And then these people should talk independent where you are located in the organization. So let's get rid of these unnecessary barriers. And that's the last thing I would like to say, but this is really important for me. Oh, thank you. That is so important, like having the doors open VPs doors so people can step in and say, I'm having a problem. Let's find a way of working together rather than being scared of taking it to the senior leaders, thinking the senior leader thinks I'm not capable because some of the problems we're facing are too big for even one company to tackle. So we need to really put our head together. Thank you for being here. I've really been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And as I said, I'm really passionate about the power of people to be able to feel confidently use technology so we can, you know, create magic and deliver better uh, care for healthcare professionals. As I said, I've written a book called The Omni Advantage is accelerating the behavior change with omni-channel in um, pharma engagement. And it's not 
to do with technology is all about people. Uh, if you get a chance to read it, I'd love to hear your feedback uh, because that's how we can enhance our learning and understanding. It's a huge thank you to you, Patrick. Huge thank you to our audience. And I'm just going to wrap up um, today's um, LinkedIn Live and you know, look forward to catching up with you all soon and, um, you know, um, see you soon in our next episode, which is going to be in February. And I think Dario's Safari joining us to share his knowledge around um, customer experience. And Patrick, you and I have had firsthand experience of how good he is in creating that customer experience. Cheers. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.